Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in to the Intuitive Art Show. Today, we're talking to Mark Mawinney. He is up in Atlantic Canada, having a bit of an opposite day for weather here with me in Phoenix. And he's a pretty outstanding guy. He's got a podcast called Natural Born Coaches, where he's done hundreds of episodes by now, right? He used to do it every single day of the week. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's down to twice a week and it's going to once a week soon and that's where it'll stop. <laughs> it's a nice um, side effect of having your business grow. And he's been in business for a really long time. Even before that, he's um, had a company grow to 100 employees and he's got a lot of experience and he's talked to a lot of experts on growing a coaching business. So today we're just going to go back and forth and I'm going to try to ask him you know, what he's learned from all of this and to get all of you some really tailored advice. And also to let you know that he's got a really thriving Facebook group and, um, and other programs to help you out too. So Mark, is there anything that you want us to know about you before we kind of get into it? I'm Canadian, so pardon the accent. If uh, some people I talk with down in the States, because a lot of my clients are down there, say, oh my gosh, your accent, or whatever. I don't think I'm going to say A or a boot too much today. But, uh, yeah. yeah, you'll have to forgive me if there there's a little bit of the Canadian uh, accent. But uh, no, I, I mean, you covered it uh, pretty well there. We had a good chat on my show we recorded recently where you came on my show, so it's nice for me to come over here and talk with your people. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Yeah. So you've been in business a long time and I read that your impetus for starting your current business was that you were seeing a lot of coaches struggle um, to kind of grow. Is that right? Well, to make a long story short, I when I got into coaching, I was dealing with a very broad I wouldn't even say niche because it's so general. I, I want to work with any entrepreneur out there, which is pretty broad, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and what I realized was as I was working with people that when I was comparing bricks and mortar clients to a few clients I had that were coaches, I really enjoyed working with the coaches. Not that I hated other people, but I just resonated well. I enjoyed working with their marketing, their programs, and everything else. And those were the calls I really looked forward to, were the ones with the clients that were coaches. And I thought, you know, this is, um, you got to sometimes follow your gut and what you enjoy doing because business is a lot more fun, as you know, if you're enjoying what you're doing. And so that's how it kind of got started there. And I felt there was a need for the podcast because there wasn't much out there for podcasts specifically for coaches. There are plenty of general entrepreneur ones, but not really ones for people that want to be successful coaches. So that's kind of how it happened. It, it was a gradual evolution as time went on, but that's kind of the long, or sorry, the short story from it. Cool. So you were following the energy of what you enjoyed and you know, were you afraid of losing out? Cause I know a lot of people are afraid to kind of go towards their enjoyment. Um, cause you know, and that's the problem with niching in the beginning, right? It's like, they don't want to exclude anybody. Yeah. So did you have any fear around that or was it just pretty natural? 
No, I thought about that because I thought, oh, what if I get so-and-so? Because I had a few people approach me. One was a web designer, wanted help with his business. I remember that one and mom owned a gym. And what I kind of said was, uh, I'm just going to trust the process. You know, it's kind of like I'm a Star Wars fan. So when Luke was flying through the Death Star, remember he had the thing over his eyes and used the forest Luke. He just pulled the <laughs> visor away and shot it, got it into the hole. That's what I kind of did. You know, That was my version. But anyone who comes to me uh, back then after I made that change that doesn't didn't fit who I was working with, like the bricks and mortar type, I would refer them off. And I still that, do that today. I get people who reach out to me that aren't the right fit because they're in a different type of business. But the good news is I know plenty of coaches who can help them and then I refer them off. I love that you say that because in the back in the day, I had that fear of like, no, I'm supposed to help people. I'm not supposed to make, you know, price myself too high or, you know, not work with a certain kind of people. Mm. But then I realized there are a million people out there doing that same thing that that person needs, like at that price point or focusing on, you know, that niche. So brilliant. I love that. So yeah. a lot of the people listening here are, you know, probably more in the woo-woo camp, as they say, and are healers and kind of have a hard time with business. Even the word, I think, frightens people a little bit because they don't want to appear inauthentic and they don't want to. They don't want to be Gordon Gecko or Donald Trump. exactly yeah Yeah. so have you kind of developed a way to translate what a business is or why it's important to focus on your business for that kind of population well I think you're right there's is a huge block in the coaching world and especially with the type of people probably that sounds like in your community with negative connotations around business and often when I'm working with coaches that's what we're doing right in the initial those initial sessions are making sure that they don't have any blocks that there's nothing wrong with making money and you're actually going to be a better coach and do more good and have a bigger impact if you're able to pay your bills and eat um it it makes a little i i say you can't coach on an empty stomach which is true and i've heard the saying i think was michael backwist said you can't light up the world if you can't pay your light bill Mm. so a lot of coaches mean well but they there is a block there they may not even realize that there's a block and they have to get around it i think they're afraid that by charging a lot they don't want to come across like those scammy seven figure eight figure you know make seven figures in 30 days and you know the uh, ads that are all over facebook and stuff they don't want to appear like that i think the key is uh, how can you um accept that you have to be compensated well for what you're doing without going to the dark side which is just selling bs and crap like a lot of people are online and you know saying you're making seven eight nine ten figures when you're not yeah how can they tell if they have a block so is that something that another person has to see in you or are there signs that people can figure out for themselves oh that's a good question i mean Part of it is how you react to some of the things that you see. So I'll give you a perfect example. I did a summit last November for this exact thing. It was called Command Higher Coaching Fees Summit, which was about getting coaches to charge what they're worth. 
And uh, I had several coaches who said to me, that's not right. It's not about the money. You're not in for the right reasons. If you're talking about the money and you're a greedy piece of, you know what? They didn't say that, but that's essentially what they were saying. And right there, that's a pretty good indicator that, Ooh, there's some stuff going on there with blocks. If you're acting like that um, over something like money. And then I also see that this just happened today, actually on Facebook, there's a debate in the group that I have over the people were attacking uh, it, i shouldn't say they're attacking they, they were the discussion over oh you can't make much money coaching unless you're doing what these seven figure is this edited or not am i allowed do you have a potty mouth or do yeah, i yeah yeah go for it okay well they were they're basically saying the only people making money in coaching were the seven figure bullshit con artist types of whatever and I, I think that's very dangerous when you get into that discussion. Of course, there's bad people in every industry. There's bad apples. But when you start saying blanket statements like the only people making money are the ones that are ripping off everyone and making these outrageous claims with Photoshop copies of checks and stuff, that's going a little too far. They're not everyone's like that. There's people that I know making very good money that aren't anything like that, nor would they ever be like that. So there's a few tips to probably identify some blocks. If you, if anything there stood out to you, there's a good chance there's some blocks. Yeah. So if you're being triggered by, you know, success out there or, um, like just the high fees in general, that whole concept of, high ticket coaching. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I've had my own evolution with that. I've been in like the intuitive world for a really long time. And in the beginning, I was afraid to charge anything. And and then I went into, you know, kind of high-end coaching a couple of years ago. And I realized, God, this is pretty nice. Like, it, I don't feel slimy. It doesn't feel weird at all. And my clients are getting a lot better results because they're dedicated so I've been I was lucky because my, my background's in real estate I did it for over a decade so real estate's pretty much at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to reputation and respect so everything else was going to be going up but the nice thing that real estate did teach me was that you have to enforce your you know commissions you couldn't be and you had all sorts of hagglers trying to beat you down on commissions because they would see the greedy real estate agent. Let's beat beat them down on commission. So real estate was really good to help uh, prepare me for coaching. Now, that being said, I went through an evolution too. When I started coaching, I was too low for pricing and I had to get that cranked up. So I think it's something all coaches go through. But if you're, I think coaches know that most coaches know they're charging too little. They should be charging more. And it is a leap of faith. You just have to do it and trust the process. Yeah. I never would have thought of that. I, you know, I've had one experience buying a house, um, but I don't think we would have thought to haggle about the commission. I just, we just figured that's what it is. Where, where were you when I was selling? I should have been down <laughs> in Connecticut selling. <laughs> yeah, right. You're the perfect client. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the naive first time home buyer. Um, Not everybody was. I shouldn't say that everybody yeah. was, but a lot of people looked at real estate and uh, saw a 6% commission on a couple hundred thousand dollar house. Mm-hmm. There's a big juicy commission that we can, beat the realtor down on and help make the numbers work a little better for us. And I see a lot of similarities between real estate, other businesses too, and with coaching. And so I learned a lot of lessons, things ended 
in real estate, probably not the way I would have chosen for them to end with the business closure and all this other stuff. But I'm very grateful for the whole experience for over a decade. And I wouldn't be talking with you today and, you know, running the business I'm running very happy here in coaching if I was still in real estate. So everything does happen for a reason. Even if at the time it didn't look like a good situation, everything worked out. Yeah. So you mentioned boundaries there and having to enforce your commission and what you said it was. And with people with coaching, you're probably mentioning like people who want discounts and that kind of thing. So what have you learned about that? Like in enforcing your boundaries there, what grew in you? It's not as hard as you think it's going to be, although it is hard to get started. It's a mental, uh, you got to flip a switch and then it gets easier. So where it differs from my past life in real estate is was in real estate, there were at least some expectations because the industry expectation was 6% commission, for example. So you wouldn't go and list a house usually in my marketplace for 1%, just wasn't done. With real estate, it's like a wild west. So someone could charge 25 cents for coaching if they wanted to, and there's no expectations. But um, I think deep down, you know, if you're charging too little, and sometimes it's going to Every time it's going to take getting beat up and working for less than your worth before you finally throw your hands up and say, screw it, I'm just bumping my fees up. I'm tired of getting you know jerked around and doing all this stuff. And that's what happened with me. I was too low in the beginning and I was getting burnt out because I was getting good number of clients come in, but I was too low and I was working too hard for what was coming in. And I just said, I have nothing to lose because if I keep going this direction, I could be burnt out soon and laying in a hospital bed. So what the heck, let's uh, let's crank the fees up and hope I'm not living in a cardboard box under a bridge somewhere you know, in a few months' time. And luckily, everything worked out. And I've been increasing my fees every six months. I reevaluate my fees and I bump them up. So they have gone up significantly, even from a year ago when they were above industry average, quite a bit above. And now they're a lot higher and it's worked out. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I found that too. When I, um, when I first started the whole high-end coaching thing, I I was terrified before I got any clients and then I got clients and I was like, God, I'm over delivering. So, um, and better clients too. I mean, not to speak ill of people who are on a shoestring budget and stuff like that, but as a rule of thumb, usually the people who are paying you the least are the biggest pain in the in the behinds, right? It's the way it works. It's one of the universal laws. And so once I increased my fees, I stopped having as many problem clients. So people were more invested in it. I was having more fun with it. So it's win-win. The other thing I learned about that is you can't judge who has the money to pay you and who doesn't because sometimes people don't make a lot day to day, but they've got savings and they're happy to invest that way or I had one client whose sister-in-law paid for her coaching um, as a gift. So you can never judge, you know, what kind of person's going to show up for you, but you could probably be assured that they're going to be invested. So it's always exactly. Yeah. I love it. So what do you think is like the most common sabotage that people put up or they do that's stopping them from getting clients they don't value themselves and they're giving away everything for free so one of the dangerous things with coaching is that 
we all want to help people. We've read all the motivational classics, the personal development books, and the quotes that are saying that you give, 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 and it's going to come back, right? And in theory, that sounds great, but it doesn't always work out that way. You can go too far the other way where you just give, give, give all the time. Everything's for free and you don't charge. And I think that that's one of the big issue is a lot of people are afraid of looking like they're bad people, a lot of coaches, by saying no. So they get approached by a complete stranger, uh, Joe from Arkansas, from Twitter, message him, hey, can I pick your brain for an hour? I'd love to get your thoughts on something. Then they hop on Skype and they lose an hour when they, they should be working with somebody that's paying them. So I've undergone a really big change in my own business with barriers. Really, a lot of it started, I read a book by Adrian Graham called No, You Can't Pick My Brain. It Costs Too Much. I don't know if you've seen that one or not. I've heard about it. Yeah. Uh, And we may have even talked about it on your interview on on my show. I can't remember, but uh, that was an excellent book. And that, that helped me change a lot of things because I thought, yeah, that's true. It's, it it does cost a lot for the experiences and knowledge that we're accumulating. So I'm very picky now people I'll hop on the line with someone for 30 minutes and explore working together and I'll give value there and stuff, but I'm not doing two, three hour brain picking sessions or coaching sessions or anything like that. It's the people who are invested in me and invested in themselves that get that, not the, you know, I call them cheaple. It sounds, you know, maybe mean, but it's true. There's a lot of people don't want to pay anything and they wonder why they're not getting the results that they want. Well, you get what you pay for. Yeah. There's definitely a lot to be said for taking a leap into education or coaching because the learning curve to have a business that works, at least for me, it was huge. I mean, I didn't grow up with an entrepreneurial family. So the idea of marketing and where to put value and what to charge and you know your niche and all of that stuff was just totally new to me. And you're not going to get all of that information for free. At least I've found you could read books like I did, take all of everybody's free training. But it wasn't really until I started doing programs, getting a coach that I really got anywhere. Yeah, it can shortcut the process because it's very overwhelming if you're Googling something how to blank. Yeah, you could pull information together, but it's coming from different sources. A lot of it's contradicting the other stuff. And you just get, I say it's like trying to take a sip of water from a fire hose with Google, right? You get yeah. two, 2 trillion responses in 1.1 seconds. So why not hire somebody to shortcut it, the whole process and get you from point A to point B a, a heck of a lot sooner. So I'm, I'm of the school thought it should always hurt some to pay for coaching you know it should if it was 50 bucks to hire a coach who cares you spend more than that going to the movies one night if it costs a thousand dollars or a couple thousand dollars to hire a coach then all of a sudden you're going to take that a lot more seriously because that's a lot of money for most people and i i do think that coaching should hurt to get the best results very true you know it's funny i'm still paying off my college and I don't really use that at all. <laughs> so don't um, get me started on college. I know yours and Canada and the U.S. I'm sure there's a lot of similarities. Uh, I wouldn't. I have an eight-year-old son. I wouldn't be too upset if he told me he didn't want to go to university because I don't even know where my university diploma is. I saw it in a box somewhere. I've got a poli sci. I'm an arts degree with a poli sci major. It's not like I'm gonna. Hey, I'm gonna go work down at the poli sci factory down the street. You know, 
Um, if I could go back in time, I would have hit the quote real world a few years sooner rather than university, but that's another podcast. <laughs> yeah. So for you, how have you designed your business to support your lifestyle? I don't really know anything about your day to day, but you know, is it structured in a way that makes you happy? Like, are you doing things during the day that you really enjoy and outsourcing the rest? Can you kind of give us a, a little peek? Well, one thing about me, anyone who knows me knows that I'm a workaholic and that's, I blame real estate. Really. I started in real estate at 21 and real estate, you'd leave the house at 7 AM. You're on the road till 10 or 11 o'clock at night. You're working on offers. You're working seven days a week and your phone's, you know, when you get phantom ringing, when you think your phone's buzzing, when it's not, that's what you get in real estate. You know, unless I was in the shower, I was on the phone. It was kind of seemed like. So when I first got into coaching, it sort of carried over because I took a lot of those bad habits from real estate. Not that working hard's a bad habit, but there's obviously you can go too far. And um, I had to really change it. So the last few years of coaching, I've been working to get away from those workaholic habits. So I'll never be a four hour work week guy. I'd go crazy if I was on the beach all week long and sipping drinks and just doing nothing. But I also want to get some more time with my little guy and time to enjoy myself. So I batch my activities a lot where I know that Monday's my heavy coaching day. Most of my coaching sessions are on Mondays. Tuesdays are podcast interviews for natural born coaches and going on other shows if possible. I book for Tuesday. And, you know, I have uh, chunks of time for content creation and so on. And all summer, I've made it through Fridays booking no appointments. So my Fridays, I can catch up on work, which I usually end up doing. Or if I want to go to the beach, I can go to the beach or whatever. So my Fridays and my weekends are more recharge the batteries and get some work done. It's kind of a combination, but it's not booking calls and stuff like that. And it's a nice mix for me. So I have to, to stay engaged. I want to be quote working enough that but it doesn't feel like work you know with what we're doing but i don't want to be working so much that i'm stressed out and i'm just feeling like conking out as well it's a balance Mm -hmm. i like that yeah especially with the batching i've i've really found that that helps you know especially with the free time and the content creation time i need a whole chunk of hours to really get into the zone yeah do my best. So yeah. what does your content creation look like? What do you work on? Well, I've got daily emails to my list. So if anyone wants to join up, naturalborncoaches.com. There's a shameless plug. And I send daily emails to my list and people uh, that hear that say, oh my God, daily emails, like don't you piss people off and they all drop off and all this. And actually my list has been growing a lot and I've been getting a lot better engagement results from it. So I'm a big fan of daily emails as long as you're doing good daily emails are not spammy, salesy crap you know, with it. Uh, so my big things, my daily emails, my content for Facebook's my big, my playground for social media where I do my business. Those are the big content uh, creation. And I'm not the type of person, if I've got 15 minutes between calls that I can uh, just go to work on something like it takes a while to get my head turned around to try to do an email for my list or content creation. I'm much better where, okay, it's, um, 
you know, I know that Thursday morning from nine till 11 or nine to 12 is dedicated just to emails. And then I can pound out a bunch of them. Same goes with writing to have an hour at a time where that's it. And I shut off other stuff. So that's how my content creation goes. I'm really big on flow. So I've heard things that takes 21 minutes to get back into flow once you lose it, if you're lucky enough to get back into it. So once I'm in a flow with writing and stuff, I just ride the wave. I keep going because I don't want to lose it. Very cool. Yeah, I love that you do daily emails. That's really amazing. And I've been thinking about doing that because my natural state is like, you know, spitting out all this content. And I always, I do have a worry about overwhelming people or creating too much. Um, And you used to do the podcast daily. So how was that for you? Did you thrive on that? Was it too much? Um. I look back now and I think, how the heck could I do it? Because I was editing my own show at the time. My brother and his team edit it now, but he wasn't in that business when I started my show. So I'm pretty convinced that the podcast is a reason that a relationship broke up at that time with my ex-girlfriend because I was dating Mac. That was my MacBook was on my lap at 24-7 and I was working on it. What happened with me with the podcast is I hit a point as we're recording this now, we're up 460 some episodes. And I think it was right around episode, I want to say 300, two or 300 or something. I can't even remember where I said, okay, I'm going to scale it back to twice, uh, to five times a week. And then I scaled it back to twice a week earlier this year because I had to choose do I put the time into the podcast or to clients and uh, client generation, other stuff? I wasn't getting the b- enough benefit from doing seven days a week compared to two days a week. In fact, my business is, I'm doing more business now twice a week for my show than I was with seven days a week. So I got to a point where I thought, you know what, I got, it's going to make a big difference if I have four, uh, 460 some episodes or 515 or 388 or whatever probably not. You got enough there that there's a good foundation that you can go off of. So not to knock anyone that's doing the daily thing, just it didn't serve my business. I can get what I need to be done in in a, a weekly show or twice a week as opposed to seven. Mm-hmm. Very nice. It's good to listen to yourself too. I know a lot of people are um, afraid of changing their mind or afraid of changing course. And I feel like business is all about changing course. Yeah. A a coach led me to that realization. I was working with somebody on a program launch earlier this year and he said, Mark, I need you to do something and you're not going to be happy with me. And I thought, Oh God, what are we doing? Like robbing a bank or burying a dead body somewhere. And he said, "Uh, I need you to move your show from Monday to Friday, five days a week to twice a week because he could see that I was stretched in every which direction. It was hurting my creativity and my energy and everything else. And I thought about it for about 10 seconds. I said, sure, let's do it. Cause I just knew that I had to make that change and I haven't regretted it. So I recommend that don't get tied to those sacred cows that you think you can't touch. And for me, I was never tied to a podcast. You know, it's a little different. Um, John Lee Dumas, a good example. John uh, is a great guy. He's been on my show and, and uh, I like what he's doing. He does seven days a week and uh, he's doing, you know, he, publishes his income statements he's doing anywhere from 150 to 400 and some thousand a month so if i'm doing 400 and some thousand a month i'll be there seven days a week bells and whistles and you know 
all that stuff, I don't blame them. But unless you're doing 400,000 a month, you need seven days a week. Probably not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's a machine. I mean, he's definitely got, got it down and, and he's teaching his method now. I think Nicole Holland introduced me to you and she went through his program for podcasting. Yeah. I'm seeing a lot of them doing what I'm doing. I just spoke with a podcaster the other day that's up to episode 258 and she's now going to scale back. So I, what I'm finding is podcasters that do it, uh, they'll be like me where they do the real heavy seven day a week for about a year. And then they have to make that decision like I did where you have that fork in the road. Do I really want to ramp my business up and focus on doing that? Or do I want to just keep bumping up my podcast episode numbers? And the way I looked at it, if I go into the bank to pay the mortgage or any bills and I say, I don't have the mortgage money, but oh, I've done you know 17,000 podcast episodes. Will you take that in lieu of payment? They're probably going to say, get the heck out of here. You're nuts, right? Mm-hmm. So I think if the, na- the name of the game is really comes down to the money in the bank with it and the clients and not um, how many podcast episodes you, re- you can uh, get up there. I love that you said that because, you know, I teach people who are just getting started in business, just kind of making the leap from thinking that they might be able to make money with their natural talents or their, their healing and counseling. And a lot of them are totally clueless that you have to actively seek out clients, right? They think just Mm -hmm. content creation is going to do it or, you know, just being alive is going to like bring people to them. So do you have any words of advice for how to look at content creation or marketing and kind of what percentage of your time you should be spending on it? Well, I'm a fan of content creation because you have to get your voice out there, but don't use that as your only thing where I see this all the time with podcasters and people who put up blog posts. They'll say, well, gee, I've had a podcast for a month now and I've released X number of episodes. I don't have any clients from it. I'm like, come on, you know, or gee, I have eight reviews on iTunes and I haven't gotten any clients and that's not the way to look at it. Uh, The problem with coaching, whatever niche you're in, uh, the way that I put it is you have to be out of the uh, safe uh, trench or foxhole. It's kind of like a battlefield. All the rewards are out in the battlefield. That's where the risk is as well. That's where you can get limbs blown off and beat up and stuff. But you're never going to get the clients if you're down in that in that trench. And that's what too many coaches are. They're down in the trench working on their logo, their banner, tweaking their website, working on their flyer, working on that blog post, um, doing all this stuff, which at the end of the day is not talking with potential clients and they're, they're not up onto the battlefield. So I think that that's where they have to spend more time is out connecting with potential clients as opposed to doing that work that makes them feel busy, but it's not really income producing work. I know coaches have done very well without even a website or they have a very simple squeeze page or a lead page. You just uh, pop over and input your email address and that's it. You don't need a ton of stuff and bells and whistles with websites and everything else. You just, uh, you have to be in front of people who could hire you and actually pay you. Agreed. Yeah. I, I sold my first high-end coaching packages and um, my first certification course without a sales page or its own web yeah. page or anything, just talking to people. Yeah. 
or certifications, not to knock certifications, but too many coaches put way too much uh, emphasis on certifications. So people, uh, coaches have said to me, so where, where's your certification? And I would point behind me. I've got my poster there now. It's not a blank wall, but when I had a blank wall, I'd say, oh, my certification's right, you know, back here. Oh, what, what do you mean? And uh, I've never had a client say to me, Mark, I'm ready to hire you, but send me your certification first, and then we'll get the ball rolling. They just want to get those results. So I'm all for growing and personal development. You know, I'm spending thousands a year on my own personal development, but it's on books, seminars, courses, stuff like that, and coaches that I hire. And uh, there's some great certifications. There's certifications that aren't worth the paper that they're printed on. And some people spend all this money because they're like, well, I'm in level one. I just spent $3,000. Now I'm going to go to level two, which is 5000 to learn whatever secret, and then level three and so on. Meanwhile, they're not talking with clients. They're not learning the business side of coaching. So that's what I do with me and my business. I'm not working on the art of coaching because there's different modalities and ways that you can coach. I'm working more on the business side to get clients through the door because you don't have a coaching business if you don't have clients. Yes, truth. You know, I have a certification and in order to graduate, you have to have five paid clients and you have to teach a paid workshop because otherwise I know that people would go through the whole thing, skip the business parts and just never make money because there's so many people who are just so afraid to go that extra mile to, to get people to pay them for their work. So yeah, super important to learn that, that mm. step. Yep. Awesome. Well, is there anything else that you want to say that you've learned over the years or that you think would be helpful to this tribe? Uh, I think if you're a perfectionist, you have to beat it out of your system as quickly as possible, especially for coaching. And I'm finding that a very high majority of coaches are perfectionists. <laughs> They're, they want that perfect 10 out of 10 and they don't want it out into the world till it's 10 out of 10. A better approach, which is the one that I've used, is if you can get something that's a 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10, get it out there, then you can work on improving it. But too many coaches want something that's perfect. And they also don't have the stick to itness a lot of times, like the persistence. So they're doing something for a couple of weeks. They don't have a barrel full of clients and then they're like oh this is stupid this doesn't work i'm going to try to do something else and they do 20 different things or bounce around all which directions and you know if it was easy everybody would do it you have to stick with it you know i look at my first six months of coaching i was probably paid the equivalent of third world wages if i factored in the amount of hours and stuff you just had to stick i had to stick with it and be consistent and be disciplined and a lot of people don't have that stick to itness and uh, they're going to need it if they want to have a successful business. Definitely. I think that's something that a lot of, a lot of people learn over time and that it's not talked about very often. Um, the fact that, you know, a sales page or even just an opt-in page by someone who's really seasoned in their business will spend six months tweaking that one page so that it optimizes well and it's attracting the right people. Whereas new people will just slap something up and when it doesn't work, they'll think that they did something wrong. But really spending the time on something is just part of how everything works. 
Yeah, and there's no magic bullet. So everybody wants that system that, okay, uh, I get people reach out to me. How can I have a successful coaching business? And they're saying it like, give it to me in under 100 words so I can read it in a few seconds. Nice and bite-sized and here you go. They want me to hand them their niche, their everything, and here you go. Well, it depends. I don't know what you – I just met you two seconds ago. I don't know what you enjoy, what you like, what you want to do. You know, I can't just hand it to you. No one can hand you that secret system. So, uh, yeah, that's it's frustrating for me to see that. But I think that the people – it's not that whatever you're choosing for a niche, you don't have to stick with it for the next 50 years. You know, it's not like you're choosing a life partner, get out there and try different things and see what you enjoy, what you don't enjoy. And the answer will come to you. You'll see what you enjoy doing. And then you'll see some things that you hate doing. And like me, for example, I um, mentioned to you before that I realized pretty quickly, I didn't enjoy working with bricks and mortar businesses as much as possible. I want to work with people all over the world. I didn't want to work with the local you know, plumber down the street or whatever with it. Um, I wouldn't have known that until I actually started doing it and trying it and figuring that out myself. Perfect. Yeah. Clarity comes through action. Um, great. So how can we get in touch with you? How can people learn more about you? Uh, naturalborncoaches.com is the easiest way. And I've got an ebook on the site and the ebook's called the real ABCs of a success of a successful coaching business. And it's a quick read 20 minutes, but it's got a lot of good stuff in there. So if you head over to naturalborncoaches.com and give me your email address, not to sound like a greedy, you know, everyone think, Ooh, he wants my email address. I don't want your firstborn child or anything else, but put your email in and you get the ebook. Perfect. Very good. Well, thank you so much for all this wisdom. I'm sure it's really going to be helpful to people and I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. Thank you so much for watching. If you're new to intuitive art and you've never done it with me, go to intuitiveartacademy.com for your free class. You'll learn how to have a conversation with your higher self in three easy steps. That's intuitiveartacademy.com. And if you're already a pro or you've done the free class and you want to learn more about creating abundance from your purpose, go to workyourpurpose.com and you'll watch a free video series all about what it takes to create a purposeful income from doing what you love. All right, enjoy and I will see you later. Bye-bye.